Today is Mother's Day, and I thought it would be appropriate to talk about communication, not just in marriage, but in the family and in the church and all of our social interactions. When you think about it, uh, much of our waking hours, we are talking to ourselves or to other people. Every thought we form is with words. And uh, we are frequently engaged in these silent conversations. You know what I mean. You, you interact as if you're talking to another person, and especially if you're upset with somebody, you're, you're going over in your mind what you would like to say and what they might say and how you, you would like to respond. And so a good deal of our self-talk is, uh, is negative. A good deal of our audible talk to one another is negative. Why do our words often hurt and not heal? The answer is we are not applying the gospel to our communication. We are simply expressing our feelings, venting our feelings, without relying on the power of the Holy Spirit. And we're not speaking redemptively to bless other people and to glorify God. Now, most of the thoughts I'm going to share with you this morning are taken from a book by Paul Tripp called War of Words, Getting to the Heart of Your Communication Struggles. And he summarizes basically the book in these words. God has a wonderful plan for your words that are far better, that is far better than any plan you might come up with on your own. Sin has radically altered our agenda and our words, resulting in much hurt, confusion, and chaos. In Christ Jesus, we find the grace that provides all we need to speak as God intends for us to speak. And the Bible plainly and simply teaches us how to get from where we are to where God wants us to be. Now, prior to the fall of man, communication was not a problem because there was no sin. The fault in our communication is a sinful heart. But when Adam and Eve sinned, all that changed. The blame game started. Adam blamed Eve. Lord, you gave me this woman. And Eve blamed the devil. So the war of words had begun. In the garden, also, Satan questioned the authority of God. God says you will die if you partake of the forbidden fruit. Satan says, no, you won't. And Adam and Eve believed a lie. That was the first time the authority of God was challenged. The world has never been the same since. In all of our communication struggles, the the fundamental issue is not what the other person said or did, although that's where we universally lay the blame. The bottom line is, will I submit to the authority of God and apply the cross to this situation, to this conflict? Will I seek solutions through God's truth? Or will I view every interaction through the prism of my needs and my desires? Will my highest priority be the glory of God or my personal honor and reputation? Proverbs depicts the war of words that's 
is so much part of this fallen world, and Proverbs has a lot to say about the tongue and speech. But let me just read a few verses here. Proverbs 12, 17 and 18. A truthful witness gives honest testimony, but a false witness tells lies. Reckless words pierce like a sword, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. Proverbs 10, 19. When words are many, sin is not absent. But he who holds his tongue is wise. I've often regretted what I did say. I don't think I've ever regretted what I didn't say. Proverbs 29, 21. Do you see a man who speaks in haste? There is more hope for a fool than for him. We cause a lot of dissension with our words. We have been quick to judge and take sides in a dispute. At times, we have become rigid and inflexible, unwilling to listen to the other person. We have gossip about others, betraying the confidences. We have spoken rashly without any thought about how our words are going to impact the other person. We have expressed ourselves verbally and not given any consideration to biblical principles and the glory of God. Who among us has not sinned with our tongues? Guilty as charged. So how do we use words redemptively to express love and forgiveness and mercy? The power of the gospel is able to transform our hearts and our words. Two key concepts are necessary if we are going to change the motive and manner of our communication. We need humility and we need repentance. And if there is no humility, there is no repentance. Repentance is a radical change in your heart that leads to a radical change in your life. So the foundation of repentance is hearts that embrace the gospel. One of the ministries of the Holy Spirit is to convict us of our sins. And that should be happening in our lives on a regular basis. Without conviction, there is no confession, there's no repentance, and there's no change. And God shows us our sins, not because he's a mean God, but because of his redeeming love. He wants to change us so that we can enter into his joy. I think we all need times of brokenness, times when we become aware of our, the sins in our hearts and we grieve, we grieve over those sins. Psalm 51, 17, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. See, the opposite of a broken heart is a hard heart, a heart that refuses to repent, a heart that re- Means proud and defiant before God. That kind of heart will produce personal misery, guaranteed. Broken relationships, dishonor to the name of God and to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul Tripp writes, true repentance begins with a heart that rests in the work of Christ and the many promises that flow out of his victory over sin. Let me just mention some of these promises. You have them there in your, in your notes. The promise of forgiveness. What a beautiful promise this is from God. When we humbly and honestly confess our sins, 
God promises to forgive us completely and fully. He says, this is amazing, he will remember our sins no more. He will cast them away as far as the east is from the west. He will bury them in the depths of the sea. These are awesome promises, almost too good to be true, but they are true. And how can God do this? How can God forgive us so completely? Not because we deserve to be forgiven. And not because our sins are insignificant. They are not. And not because our sins are justified. They never are. He forgives us because the debt has been fully paid by Jesus. The promise of deliverance. Christ not only forgives us of our sins, he delivers us from our sins. On the cross, he broke the power of sin to master us. Romans 6.18, having been set free from sin, you have become slaves of what? Righteousness. Romans 6.22, you have have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God. We do not have to to give in any longer to the sins of the tongue. When the heart is purified, we will not speak the way we once did. We will speak in a new way. The promise of strength. 2 Corinthians 12, 9. My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead lives in all true followers of Christ. And so we can speak out of a strength which isn't ours. It is Christ in us. God supplies the grace we need to speak as we ought to speak. The promise of reconciliation. In the gospel, there is a promise of reconciliation with God and with one another. Christ destroys the walls that divide us. He can replace hatred with love. He can replace selfishness with compassion, division, with unity. This is clearly his will for our marriages, for our homes, for the church. Two redeemed hearts who are humble before God will enjoy reconciliation. The gospel brings the promise of wisdom. Sometimes we get into a rut in our talk. And we say, I know I need to change my pattern of communication. But how do I go about it? Where do I start? It just seems that when there's something happening, I open my mouth and out comes stuff that shouldn't come out. How do I stop doing this? James 1.5, if any of you lack wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach and it will be given him. The starting point for change is to acknowledge we need to change. And then we turn to the Lord and his grace and his power for strength and to his word for wisdom, and it will be given us. Then there's the promise of mercy. Hebrews 4.16, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. We'll find grace, mercy and grace to help in time of need. Lord, I need your mercy because I have misspoken and I need help because I keep misspeaking. 
some of the difficult situations that we face in our, our relationships uh, come to our mind. And God never leads us, leaves us to flounder in a state of despair and confusion. God never says to us, sorry, you're on your own in this situation. See, there are many things we cannot do apart from God's grace. We cannot love our enemies. We cannot be patient in the face of a provocation. We cannot honor those who dishonor us. We cannot leave vengeance with the Lord. There's something within us that wants to get even. We cannot delight in self-sacrificing service, especially when that service is not acknowledged by others. And we cannot speak softly in the face of anger. Apart from divine grace, we cannot be kind or compassionate or gentle or forgiving. All these things are above our natural uh, capacities. But in Christ, all these things are possible. His presence and power compensates for our weakness. So Paul Tripp writes, the gospel is the soil in which real repentance grows. Its promises make me willing to face my sin, and that's often the major issue. We won't face our sins. Its promises make me willing to face my sin and give me the strength to turn from it. Real hope for real change is found in Christ. Repentance is built upon that foundation. There are lots of good verses, good teaching on, on uh, the tongue in the book of James. So we want to spend just a few moments in that book. We want to look at uh, what real repentance looks like. It starts with consideration. Look into the Word of God. Gaze into the Word of God. We read in James chapter 1. Look intently into the Word so that you will see who you are. James chapter 1, verse 22. Be doers of the word, not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away, at once forgets what he looks like. Now, men do that. Women never look in the mirror without changing something. They, they always do. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he looks like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets but a doer who acts, he is blessed in his doing. And then there's a very convicting verse, the next verse which I found, find troubling, very troubling. It's true, but it's troubling. If anyone thinks he's religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, that person's religion is worthless. God puts a lot of weight on our words. Words matter to God. In fact, every idle word that a man speaks will be judged at a future time. That's in Matthew 12, 36. So do I speak redemptively for the good of others? Or do I simply verbalize my feelings? 
The solution is not to learn a new technique about communication, but to allow God to radically change our hearts. Communication is changed when the heart is changed. And redemptive talk means that we do not leave a trail of discouragement and destruction and division. We speak words of love and grace and mercy and forgiveness, which result in peace. Confession. Real repentance involves confession. The word confession means to say the same thing about yourself as God says about you. It's agreeing with God about your heart, your speech, your actions. So we need to accept what God says about us, that we are all sinners, and sin is expressed in our thoughts and our words and our actions. We acknowledge that sinful attitudes have shaped our words. If those attitudes weren't there, we would not speak the words. Scripture is dead on when it says, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Then, commitment. We need to have a commitment, a resolve. Staying in James 1, know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness that God requires. Now, we know that. We know that our anger does not lead to righteousness. It leads to the exact exact opposite. Proverbs 15, 28, The heart of the righteous ponders how to answer, but the mouth of the wicked pours out evil things. We read earlier, Kent read earlier from Colossians chapter 3, 12 through 17. And what this wonderful text speaks about is the need for the preparation of the heart in our relationships. We are to clothe ourselves with certain attitudes. Compassion is a deep awareness of another's need and a desire to do something about that need. We have received incredible compassion from God. How dare we not show that to one another? Ask yourself, would I want God to deal with me the way I'm dealing with this person? Kindness, being generous and tender and warm-hearted, acting in understanding and consideration, Humility, the dictionary defines humility as lowliness, meekness, submissiveness, standing alongside people, not over them and above them, working with people, not against them. See, we are in need of as much grace as the next person. We are not inherently better than anybody else. Our looks differ, Our lifestyles differ, our incomes differ, our abilities differ, our educations differ, our accomplishments differ. But in no sense are we superior to the other person. They need grace, we need grace. In acknowledging our true condition 
before God will help us to be humble. Gentleness is treating others with tenderness, speaking in ways that are soft and gentle. It's the opposite of being bombastic and harsh and demeaning. Proverbs 15:1: a soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. A gentle person wants to heal, not hurt, wants to build up, not tear down. Paul Tripp says gentleness doesn't mean compromising the truth. Rather, and this is important, it means keeping the truth from being compromised by harshness and insensitivity. And patience is another attitude that we need. This is being willing to wait, even if it means enduring difficulty. This is not easy because we want results. We want the other person to change like yesterday. And sometimes we don't give God the opportunity to do his work. We apply human pressure in the form of threats and ultimatums. Impatience indicates lack of trust in God. It exposes anger that is present within our hearts. Patience will wait without giving in to impulsive words and actions. Forbearance means patience under pressure, refraining from retaliation, verbally or any other way. Listen to what Peter says about Jesus in 1 Peter 2.23. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. If anyone had the power to destroy his enemies, Jesus had that power. If anyone had a way with words to devastate a person with words, Jesus had that power. But he didn't do it. He entrusted himself to God. Well, you say, I'm not Jesus. No, we're not Jesus. But who lives in us? Jesus. Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. This is a wonderful promise of the power of Christ for us to do what we could never do without that power. I I can do all things through Christ, who gives me strength. And the forbearance of Jesus grew in the soil of an active trust in the justice of his God and Father. Forgiveness, renouncing feelings of anger and bitterness and a desire for for revenge. This prepares us, prepares our hearts to extend forgiveness before the person even seeks it. Now, you cannot have reconciliation. Please get this without the offender asking for forgiveness and the offended being willing to grant forgiveness. You need both for reconciliation. But if the offender is unwilling to, to ask for forgiveness, they hurt us, they sinned against us, they did what they did, and they don't care, we still need an attitude of forgiveness in our hearts. We have no justification for remaining bitter in fact, we are to forgive one another as Christ forgave us. That's pretty broad, isn't it? 
and love. Love means the willingness to sacrifice personal position, possessions, desires, and needs for the good of another. It is a willingness to wait, work, suffer, and give for the benefit of another. And love is the ultimate virtue that holds everything together. It is the fundamental ingredient of redemption and it's the fundamental ingredient of peaceful relationships. 1 Corinthians 13, 4-7, which is well known to all of us, I would imagine, but just in case we forgot, repetition is the mother of learning, so let's repeat. 1 Corinthians 13, 4, love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. And we are told that the greatest virtue is love. This is not just a a tingly feeling in our emotions. Uh, Love is a commitment to the love that sent Jesus Christ to die on the cross for our sins. In fact, John says in 1 John that if, if we do not love our brother, we do not know God. Strong language. Peace is an inner rest and contentment that stems from an active trust in the presence and power of Jesus Christ. It is urgently seeking the intervention of Christ in our hearts because he says, I will give you a peace. My peace I will give to you, not as the world gives do I give, do I give to you. If we have peace in our hearts, if the turmoil and the storm is calmed in our hearts because we are letting Jesus change our hearts, chances are very high that our words will be far different than what they might be if that peace was not there. And thankfulness. We live in a world of rights and entitlements. The mindset of our culture is, I deserve, I'm entitled to. It's got to be my way, or I'm mad at you. That is the opposite of a Christ-like mind, the exact opposite. Thankfulness is a spirit of gratitude for gifts and graces we could never achieve or earn. It reflects an awareness of the incredible mercy we receive daily from God. God's mercies, God's compassions are new every, every day, and we need them. The final truth we want to share about repentance, and I just just have the heading in your notes because I ran out of the space, (laughs) is change. If there is no change, there's no repentance. Repentance is a change of heart that leads to a change of life. And it's out of the abundance of the heart that the mouth speaks. So heart change is a prerequisite for communication change. Peter in 2 Peter chapter 2 Peter chapter 1 talks about the growth and the steps that Jesus will bring about in the heart of anyone who turns to him. So in verses 5 through 7 of 2 Peter 1, for this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue and virtue with knowledge and knowledge with self-control and self-control with steadfastness and steadfastness with godliness 
and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. So there's a growth pattern here. Now the next verse in 2 Peter 1 is very important because it says this, for if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from becoming ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Ineffective and unfruitful. Now, why would a person be ineffective, a Christian be ineffective and, un, and unfruitful? Why would he lack these virtues that are listed here? Well, we're told in verse 9 why they may be absent. Whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, and here's the key phrase, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. When we forget the cross, we start speaking in ways that we should not speak. When we forget the wonder of God's forgiveness, we minimize God's grace to us, our offenses against God, and we maximize the offenses of others against us. Isn't it amazing how quick we are to minimize the sins of the tongue when we are talking, and we maximize the sins of the tongue when the other person is talking? Our thinking is this way. My words are justified. Your words are inexcusable. We are out of touch with reality when we're thinking in those terms. So when it comes to the sins of the tongue, we need to start with ourselves. The key to God-honoring communication is this. We embrace the magnitude of our need. We will never, ever change our speech patterns unless we allow God and his mighty power to change our hearts. So we embrace the magnitude of our need and also the lavishness of God's provision in Christ. That truth will radically alter what we say and why we say it and how we say it. It will give us victory over the struggles that we have in this area. Back in the book of, of Colossians chapter 3, we read these words, whatever you do in word or deed, that just about covers life, doesn't it? Whatever you do in word and deed, do all, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. 1 Corinthians 10, 31, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all for the glory of God. We need to put talk, our talk at the top of this list of whatever we do because we do more talking than anything else. What tremendous opportunities we have on a daily basis to glorify God with our speech. And sadly, how awful it is to dishonor God with our speech. With God's help, by applying the gospel to our communication, in every relationship, 
our hearts can be changed. And when that happens, our words are changed. Transformed hearts start with believing the gospel. Everything I said today does not apply to non-Christians. Nothing. We need the grace of God at work in our lives. We need to have believed the gospel and trusted in Jesus Christ as as our Lord and Savior. We will never receive the grace, the humility, the awareness of what we're doing with our words until we come to the cross and ask God to reveal to our hearts what is taking place. But once we do come to the cross and once we keep the gospel at the forefront of our thinking so that whether we eat or drink or whatever we do, we do for the glory of God. When we start doing that, there will be a sweetness. There will be a harmony. There will be a graciousness in our talk to one another. So let's ask God to forgive us for our pride because I'm certainly guilty of pride in this area. It's their fault. It's Carol's fault. It's somebody else's fault. It isn't my fault. And that's just a lie. I'm just deceiving myself when I, when I say that. We can have a whole new communication pattern when the power of the gospel is applied to our hearts. Let us pray. Father, we give you praise for these truths. Now, we have a choice to make. We believe them or we don't believe them. We say they apply to me or they don't apply to me. And I know that we could all come up with reasons why we have spoken the way we have spoken in so many different situations. But if we have spoken sinfully, then we need to acknowledge that. And you will give us mercy and you will help us to be honest with ourselves, and you will give us the power to change for the glory of God. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.